0: That sermon, the beginning of that sermon in Ephesians chapter 4, I said that these next three chapters in the letter sent to the Ephesians are like, um, can it be explained by saying this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where actions have to um, point back to when you resemble what you believe, um, your faith, what you say you believe about Jesus Christ. Uh, meaning that, at a deeper meaning, that the church, we must pursue Paul's instructions, take them seriously, and then Get to work applying these things, not only to our personal lives, but then to the lives of one another as a church and then out into our communities. If we are to grow the way God has designed us to grow, designed the church to grow, then Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 must take a prominent position in our lives. And church growth should be a topic that is on our minds. It should always be a topic that is on our minds. Healthy things grow, and we desire to be a healthy church. So Sarah read verses 1 through 16. We're not going to cover verses 1 through 6 again, but that set up verse 7 where I am going to begin today. If you would like to hear that sermon from verses 1 through 6, if you wait one day, it'll be on the website because I haven't put it on there yet. Uh, but today we're going to learn from verses 7 through 16. First, Ephesians 4 verses 7 through 16. And here is the big idea of this entire section. Okay, it's it's not short like they usually are. It's, I think it's like a sentence. So let me try this. The church has been given diverse gifts with which to serve one another so that the church will mature and not be deceived by the false teaching of the world. So the church has been given diverse gifts. You and me, if you are a Christian here today, you have been given a gift. You've been given a spiritual gift and that gift is for the reason of serving one another. You could use the word minister there. Ministering to one another so that we will mature and also not be deceived by false teaching or things that are wrong and are not found in the Bible. So let me begin just by rereading verses, uh, I think it's going to be 7 through 10, verses 7 through 10. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, then Paul has this parenthesis where he basically is just explaining what he just said. It's kind of ascended, descended. It's a lot of different back and forth here. In saying that he, Jesus, ascended, that means went up, what does it doesn't mean, but that he had also descended into the lower region. So you can't go up unless you first come down. He who ascended is the one who has ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Here's what Paul is saying. Jesus Christ has given to the church a certain measure of gifts. To you, you're the church. If you're a Christian, you are the body of Christ. You are described as the church. You have been given a certain measure of gifts. Each one of us has a specific gift, which we are called to use to build up the church. Peter, another apostle, another New Testament author, he wrote this in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's Varied grace. So if you have been given a gift, which we have, get busy using it to serve one another. This is exactly what Paul is telling this church in Ephesus. This young church, once divided culturally, now one in the same spirit, one in Christ, who once were enemies, now they're family, Gentiles, Jews, people who worship statues, people who worship God. Now they're Christian. They have faith in Christ and they're learning how to become a family, a community. Paul says, use the gifts that Christ has given you to serve one another. This means that each one of us here in Citygate has been given a unique gift from God in order to serve one another and advance his kingdom or to grow his kingdom, the spread of his church, the influence of his truth. Each one of these gifts are diverse, different from one another. So the person you're sitting next to may not even have the same gift as you. And in fact, I would say the expression of your gift is unique only to you and you alone. The expression of your gift that Christ gives to the church is going to be expressed differently through me than it's going to be expressed through you, like a fingerprint, right? Everyone has a fingerprint, and your fingerprint isn't like anybody else. That's it. That is your fingerprint. You're welcome. That's all for you. God has chosen give this gift to you, and he expects us to express that gift in our unique way with the way he has created us and designed us in order to support Others. They gift is for others. And my gifting will be different than yours, and yours will be different to the person sitting next to you. Now, understanding this, that's what Paul says, seven through 10. Okay, understanding this, there are two reasons why this should move us to obedience in applying this truth to our lives. Okay, two reasons, two big, two big reasons why. We always want to know the reason why, because that actually helps someone move to the next step, doesn't it? Knowing the what or the how doesn't always get us excited but the reason why is always very important. Here's the reason why. First, if you are not serving one another with your gift given by Jesus expressed through you, the church is not growing the way that God has intended the church to grow. That that should sting just a little bit if you're not involved in any way shape or form in advancing God's kingdom. So if you are not busy serving the church in some way with the gifts that you've been given and we can Discuss maybe what your gift is later. That's not the point of the message. Helping you understand what your gift is isn't necessarily what I'm going to do today. But if you are not serving in the local church in some capacity, doing something that you enjoy and that you know you're good at, this church is not growing the way God has intended the church to grow. No one Christian, and here's why no one Christian can replace another Christian. No one person can just make up for the two that are not using their gifts. Everyone has a gift, and we are to use those gifts. It's not like if you do not use your gift to minister to others, someone else is going to pick up the slack and insert their gift. And, you know, they might, but it's not going to be done right most times. You know, um, when we launched the church, I was deferred to a lot because I'm the church planter. I'm the pastor. That's just kind of how it works at times. And I usually told people, I have an opinion about everything. Don't doubt that. I will tell you what I think about everything, but you probably don't really want to hear it because you'll probably do it far better than me. Now, sometimes I failed at that, sometimes I didn't. Everyone has an opinion, and no one else can replace the person sitting next to them. This is exactly why CityGate has been set up in the way it's been set up to get you involved. This is why when we talk about serving, it's not just like, we need your energy to get the big machine moving, right? Sometimes we think, in corporate America, you're just another, what do they call it, spoke on the wheel and you don't matter and you're just pushing a button, but ultimately you don't know why you're there. Sometimes we feel like that at work. Well, in the church, it is not that way. The smallest of task or the largest of tasks is absolutely important to the healthy growth of the church. The last thing we desire to do here at this church is to hire a bunch of professionals who then perform and then invite everybody in to see them perform and then try to get enough money to pay those people to come back and perform. That's not the idea of the church. I really want us to understand that the church is a body with each unique member, an arm, a leg, a finger, a nose, an ear, designed to support the overall function. That is what God has saved us for. So if you consider City, Get Your Home Church, you have a gift. Maybe you don't know what it is yet, and that's okay. We're gonna figure that out as a family. You have a gift with which... And this gift has been given to you in order to minister to those around you. If we were to fast forward 20 years from now, and we continue to grow and reach people, here should be a vision, not just for 20 years, but maybe for next week, is that we would want other people to observe City Gate Church and walk away saying, all I know is that there is a whole bunch of people ministering to one another. There are 400 ministers at that church. And they all take their job seriously. And they all know what they're called to do at that church. And they're all doing it for one another. That would be an absolute amazing thing to be known for. To minister to one another. Second, so that's the first reason why. You have a gift and nobody else can replace you. And you must use that gift to serve the church. Second, this is the big reason why. And Paul talks about it here in verses 8 through 10. These gifts were given to you at a price. your gift was bought with a price. Paul writes this in verse 8. He says, Jesus has the authority to give us a measure of gifts because he is the one, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now what Paul is doing, he's quoting from a psalm. It's Psalm 68. So if you were to go to Psalm 68 in the middle of your Bible, don't know where Psalm is, that's okay. Just go like this, open up halfway you'll probably end up in, oh, that didn't work. You'll probably end up in Psalm, all right? In the middle of your Bible. And if you go to Psalm 68, you can read through that Psalm. Now, Paul does a little wordplay there. He doesn't quote it exactly, but he's using that as an example for what he's telling this church in Ephesus. Here's the second reason why. Your gift was bought with a price. Now, Psalm 68, it's a victory song. It's a song written by King David. He was once a king of Israel, and he was a man after God's own heart. He helped conquer and all these things. And basically, to boil it down without spending an entire sermon on it, Psalm 68 is about victory, victory in battle. And it's also about God ascending to power after he won that victory. It's quite common to write songs like this, and it could be explained this way. In ancient times, after a king was victorious in battle, he would bring home all that he won, right? Right? If you're not familiar, um, watch a movie with, like, knights and battles and things, if your parents let you. And, th- and then, I'd, you never know who's listening. And then, watch what the king does when that king wins. What do they do? They take everything they've captured, and they bring it home to their people. So in ancient time, after a king was victorious in battle, he would bring home all that he won. It was called the spoils of war, right? The gold, the silver, or whatever else was taken. And he also brought along those he had captured, the captives. Paul quotes Psalm 68, Jesus led a host of captives. He's quoting this as a way for us to understand how Jesus is able to give these gifts to the church. So he further explains in verse 10, he who descended is also the one who has ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul here is writing and alluding to a successful Christ, retiring from a battle, Retiring from his battle that he went through on earth. And he's back in the heavenly places with the spoils of war, with the trophies of his victory. You see, when we talk about Jesus uh, putting him next to Psalm 68, it's in his death and resurrection. Jesus defeated, conquered Satan. He defeated and conquered Satan. He defeated and conquered sin. He defeated and conquered death on our behalf. And by his great victory, he then led a host of captives who were once prisoners of the enemy, prisoners of Satan, prisoners of sin, right? We were in shackles to our sin. We were in bondage, but because of the victory through Christ, we have now been set free. So we were once the prisoners of the enemy, but now we belong to God. We were once trapped in the power of sin. We have been set free to live under his rule and authority of our great king. Matthew 28, we read that earlier in the prayer time, records that Jesus has all authority everywhere. He has authority over all things. This entire world is his. In heaven and on earth, Jesus has authority. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, where he actually sits right now at the right hand of God, and what he's doing is he's interceding for you every second of every day. He's telling God, nope, that, that girl's mine. That guy's mine. They have faith in me. My blood covers their sins. Every second of every day, your king is interceding for you And he also has given us gifts. He has brought back the spoils of war and he gives them out. He doesn't hoard them like an evil king. He gives them out to his people. And he can give these gifts to us because he has won. He has won the decisive battle. Now to close out this section before we move on, there's a a little uh, more to go here. There's 11 through 16. I'll get there. Hold on a second. And to close this out, it's been three weeks since I've preached, so I'm trying to, you know, It's like training wheels. Um, To close this out, I want to say this. The Christian life is characterized by mutual ministry. I've already covered that. So if you were saying, I feel like I should be doing something more, don't know exactly what that is, you have to figure out how you serve somebody else in the church. That could be the first step. How are you going to serve somebody else in the church? What are you going to offer somebody else? What are you gifted at that you can help support somebody else with? The Christian life is characterized by mutual ministry and being intentional about using the gifts that we've been given to build one another up. This church will grow. And we will grow in the way that God has designed us to grow. And the church growth is what Paul transitions to now in these next six verses. So, verses 11 through 14, that's what I'm going to read next. And we're going to look at God's plan to grow the church. So, Jesus is one. Sin is defeated. Satan is defeated. We are subjects of a new kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. We've been given the spoils of war. We have the gifts and the trophies of that war. And now Christ has set us free to serve him. That's what he's done. If you're a Christian, that's your, li- that's, that's your life. That's your story. You were once were captive to sin. Now you're free in Christ, and he has set you free to serve him. So let's read verses 11 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... To do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we serve one another using the gifts Jesus has given to us, we will grow as a church. We will grow in unity. We will grow in maturity. We will also grow in numbers. We will just get larger. More people will be attracted to a unified community where Jesus is king. That's basically how the process goes. Meaning we will not only become more rooted and grounded in our faith, we will actually be a community where those who are dead in their sin will find new life in Christ. Amen? That is our entire goal of even planting a new church. You see, church planting didn't come out of like a split where we were a group of people at a church and they were so dumb at their job, we were that much smarter, so we got to go do it down the road. We didn't plant out of that. We did not plant out of animosity. We didn't plant out of hatred. We started a new church because we wanted to see new people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So when we minister to one another with the gifts Jesus has given us, it will call more of the captives home. Because guess what? God has people in this city. There are more people in your neighborhood and in your workplace and even in your home who are still captive to Satan, sin, and death. And The church has been put in place to welcome the captives home, to introduce them to a good and better king. When we grow in unity and maturity, we will free more people from the rule of sin and set them free into a heavenly kingdom. And this is an area of growth we should never forget Sometimes we don't want to measure so many things because it sets us in the wrong trajectory. We get consumed by the wrong things. It's easy to get consumed by the wrong things as a church. But we count people because people count. People just count. That's what we're in the business of. So we've learned how Jesus is able to get these gifts. He's conquered. He's king. And he loves his people enough to empower them. And now Paul moves on to explaining what some of these gifts are, verses 11 through 14. Now, this is not an extensive list. There are five places in the New Testament that explain spiritual gifts, what they are. The goal of today is not to explain what every spiritual gift is to the church. We can do that later, we can do that one on one. You can do that with a trusted friend. That could be something we go through separately. But Paul, what he does is he explains what some of these foundational gifts are so the church would grow. These people have to be in place for the church to grow. I can put it this way. If I were to divide up the message, and the first part was about the gifts of the conquering king, the second part could be uh, entitled A True Characteristic of the Church, right? If we were to describe the church, what would it be? Here's the main point A deeper knowledge of Jesus protects us from false teaching and promotes walking in love. So, big idea. We have been given gifts to serve one another, and a deeper knowledge of Jesus protects us from false teaching and promotes walking in love. No doubt as we grow, we will serve one another with the gifts we've been given. But in this specific paragraph, in these verses, Paul highlights five gifted persons who are a gift to the church and who also bear the burden of promoting and establishing church growth. These gifted people are right there, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, back in chapter 2. Two chapters ago, Paul says that God gave to the church the apostles and the prophets as a foundation from which to build his church. So I'm going to talk about each of these gifts, each five gifts. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to bucket the apostles and the prophets in one category and the other three in another category. And here's why. I'm going to read for you Ephesians chapter 2. There's already a sermon about this. It was many months ago. Here's what it says, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, this is talking to the Christians at Ephesus, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, first category of gifted people are the apostles and the prophets. And the apostles and the prophets were men of God who served the church by teaching and making clear the word of God. That's basically how you can describe it. It was the apostles' teaching that the early church gathered around. This is what they did when they came together. They broke bread, they worshiped, and they listened to the apostles' teaching. The apostle was a gifted teacher filled with the spirit to teach his church. It was the apostles' teaching that the early church gathered around, and it's that same teaching we gather around today. And we know that because the apostles' teaching is what is outlined in the New Testament. It's our Bible. One quick quick thing to note before we move on to the next group of gifted people, I cannot be more clear than I am right now, the way we read and interpret the Bible um, says this, that there are no longer apostles and prophets today. There are no longer apostles and prophets today. There are people gifted in the ways apostles and prophets are, Many times, if you have an apostolic gifting, it means you like to to start things new, to go into a territory where nobody has been. You know, you want to be put out on the edge and you're just going to go for it. A prophet can be um, seen or viewed as somebody who is gifted in preaching or telling people about Jesus. But specifically, the office of the apostle and the prophet, they do not exist today. Now, this is not true for all denominations. Some denominations believe that this office of apostle and prophet still exists and people are appointed to that office. In our church tradition, we do not believe that the Bible teaches that the apostles and the prophets are here today. And here's why. There are no new revelations from God, which is what the apostles and the prophets were sent for. There are no new revelations coming from God. There are no longer people who speak for God in a new and fresh way that's not found already in the Bible. Okay, so if someone comes to you, if you're out in public and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and somebody walks up and says, I have a word from God, and i like to speak it to you. Now, that could be an okay thing. That could be a really dangerous thing if what they say is not in the Bible at all. That's a demonic thing. That's scary. The apostles and the prophets with their unique gifts did not extend beyond their age. And this is significant because we teach here that the focus is on the Bible. So if I ever stand up, this is your test for me, right? Let's say in a year from now, I get really weird, okay? And there's like three of you left. And I stand, <laughs> because most people leave when people get weird. And, uh, and if I stand up here and I begin to share with you when I start a sermon like this, God spoke to me this week and I've never heard it before and I wanna share it with you. You should just walk out, You just don't stay at all. Don't even let me get past the first sentence. If we don't ever start the sermon by first reading what we're about to learn from, you should say, hey, why don't we read the Bible anymore? Like, you know, the Bible you're supposed to preach from? So if I ever stand up here and act weird, just leave, okay? And then, like, call the newspaper or something, do an article. So if I ever stand up here and begin to share with you a fresh revelation from God, a new word, a new command, of which is not found in the Bible, then walk away, okay? Tell me to sit down, demand to hear the word of God and not my word. So this group of gifted people, they're no longer around. They were used to build up the church. There will be no more books added to our Bibles. I mean, here's some examples. I mean, this is, this is it. It's called the closed canon. That's the term used for the Bible. Um, God is not going to send another person to say, actually, God just gave me the revelation of Revelation Part 2, and we should add it. Like, that's not, that's not okay. We don't do that. By the way, which is one of our problems with Islam. Does that make sense? Islam was a fresh revelation from God 600 years after the time of Christ. There's an example. So there's no more revelation from God until the day Jesus himself returns, all right? So the office of the apostle and the prophet are no longer around, but the word of God is. And this is what they gave us, and this is what we learned from. Now, the next group of people. The evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. This is what their job is. An evangelist is someone who is gifted at making the gospel plain, just making it plain. Some of you here have this gift. Some of you have this gift. You're an evangelist and you don't even know it. If you love to just share the truth of Jesus and what he's done in your life, you're probably an evangelist. And if you get people to listen to you and maybe respond or get more interested, you're an evangelist. God has gifted you in this way. An evangelist is someone who is gifted at making the gospel plain, someone who has been gifted with the ability to reach the lost, the broken, and the hurting people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're constantly sharing your faith, this is you. Like sharing it without hesitation. If you're that person, you're an evangelist, okay? Think of it this way. An evangelist was given to the church because they specialize in seeing new people come to faith. Evangelists, people who evangelize, who share the gospel, are generally the people who start to fill the churches. Because they're out in their community, they're in their homes, they're in their workplaces, and they're sharing the gospel. Technically, you could say what a preacher does is evangelism from the front. These are gifted men and women who share their faith without fear, hesitation. They have a boldness about them, and they love to just talk about Jesus. Now, once the church is buzzing with these new believers, right, you're bringing all these new people in, then come the shepherds and the teachers, and they assume their responsibility you could say shepherds and teachers are like pastors, pastor teachers. So my role at this church, I, I would consider myself a pastor teacher. That is my gifting. That is my calling. Those who are gifted in preaching and teaching and leading have been given this gift so the church would grow and mature. Now, some of you are like, I don't think you have that gift. Well, just tell me later. Don't tell in for anybody else. I'm new, okay? Um, And these gifts always point people towards the Bible. Shepherds, teachers, pastors. Be weary of a pastor who talks about himself more than about Jesus. Be weary of a pastor who's consumed with himself more than he is about Jesus because his calling, my calling, is to explain what the Bible says. It's not to explain what I think. It's to explain what the Bible says. And why did Jesus provide the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to the church? He tells the Ephesian church, you have these people there, you need to get busy using them. They they must share their gifts if the church in Ephesus is going to grow, if it's going to make a better, deeper impact on your city. He says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to maintain the unity, to have the knowledge of the Son of God so we can mature, so we can mature to the fullness of Christ, so that we wouldn't be adults who drink from bottles. That's basically the picture. It'd be weird if I was up here drinking from a bottle. Like, that's my everyday water bottle. It's just a baby bottle. That'd be a little creepy. We don't want to live Christian lives like that. We don't want to constantly drink from baby bottles. We want to continue to mature, know the deeper things of God, continue to learn what the Bible says. Now, I actually put all those verses in one paragraph, and I'd like to read it so we can begin to close, and everybody knows what that means, okay? So Jesus, I don't know why I said it that way, Jesus. (laughs) Yep. Jesus gifted certain people as evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the Christians for the work set before them, which means to help and to train and to serve one another in the church so that we would attain unity, meaning that no church can be unified in the same spirit unless the church has placed an emphasis on learning what the Bible says. To know the Son of God, so Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we are to grow in our desire to know him more. We're also to mature in our faith. So God has not saved us to live in a constant state of childishness. We just talked about that. He desires for us to know the deeper things of God. He desires for the gospel to impact our lives in a more more deeper way. Every shadow, every crevice, the gospel must be applied so that we will no longer be tossed around by every fad, every new popular teaching, everyone who stands up and says they have a word from God. Now, can you imagine the early church not really having the closed canon like we have today? We're, we actually have a great benefit today. And being in Ephesus, and somebody just shows up at your gathering and goes, God, Jesus spoke to me, you'd have to be like, well, maybe they did. We'd have to discern that. We'd have to figure out what they're saying. Just like that, we don't want to be tossed around by every fad, every new teaching, every book that you pick up written by a Christian author should not be picked up, should not be sold, should be tossed away. A lot of them are new fads, new teachings that are just tossing Christians back and forth, back and forth, and then we get so confused we don't know what to believe. Paul describes these people who teach these things as cunning, deceitful, craftiness, scheming. It's just the work of the devil. So these five gifts build unity, protect us from false teaching, and encourage us to speak the truth in love. And here's where we will begin to end verses 15 and 16. All of what I said has one reason, and this is it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Now, the church is called to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is our That is our decree. That is our goal. We are to resemble the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's who we're supposed to look like more and more every day. And this means what Paul is telling this church is that they are to grow in their desire and their ability to speak, to act truthfully, to speak, act, and deal truthfully. So it says there in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, if you were to take the original language Paul wrote in, here's what I'll tell you, it could, be, um, it could be translated as truthing, right? You know, putting the ing at the end of the word is like a new fad, like adulting, things like that. Paul started a long time ago, right? He said you should be about truthing, which just means the truth of what Jesus has done for you should impact every area of your life, okay? So The church is called to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, which means we are to grow in our desire and our ability to speak and deal and act truthfully. If we are not growing in these ways as a church here, who is about to celebrate their third birthday in September, then we have to do a course correction. We have to figure out where we're failing. We have to figure out what gifts are not being brought to the table and being used. This is why this is so important. We want to grow in the way God has called us to grow. So here I'm going to apply this. First, to the gifts, as to the first part of the message, okay? Here we go. If you desire to serve others with your giftedness, but need help understanding what your giftedness is, here's what I want you to do. Two things. Three things. Yep, three. Number one, sometimes I get excited and I forgot how much I typed. Number one, read and pray. Read the Bible and pray. That's it. Now, you're like, well, that's the Christian answer, John. I get, that. I get told that all the time. Read your Bible more and pray. No, but here's why. If you... Okay, hold on. Let me go outside my notes, all right? Just give me a minute. I know. Sometimes there are, like, people have developed spiritual gift tests. I don't know if you've heard this thing. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you can actually take a test online and find your spiritual giftedness. Now, I'm not a huge fan of those. I'm not going to, you know, beat that person down or whatever. But sometimes, like, they just... You look at it, and you're like, eh, I don't want to do any of that. So I'm sinful or something. So everybody has a gift. That's the truth. Sometimes we don't know what it is. And here's why. Because you're not initiating service to the church. Sometimes just getting involved in church in the smallest, simplest ways, like holding the door, watering the flowers, parking the cars, making the coffee, serving in kids, setting up communion. When you do those small things, God is going to reveal to you how he has gifted you. So if you ever feel like the thing that you do at the church isn't really worth it, you're wrong. I'm sorry to tell you. You're completely wrong. Because over time, God is going to continue to show you how he has gifted you for his church. Okay, so when we read the Bible and we pray, here's what we're doing. By reading the Bible, we see what kinds of gifts God has given to people over the course of time. When you read the Bible, you're reading about people who actually lived. They're not fictional characters, there are people who came before us. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed on, and we see how they have been gifted. And then you read it and you go, oh, I, I think that way. I'm kind of like that. I can see myself serving in that way. That really helps us. And then when we pray, I want you to ask God to help you discern what he has gifted you with to serve City Gate Church. Very practical things that we can do. Number two, we need to know this because we're not spectators, nor are we performers. If I had to sell tickets, I'd be broke. Okay, So we're not spectators. We are not performers. We are children of God who serve King Jesus. Amen? And that looks different than what the world has to offer. Everyone here has a seat at the table, and God has told you he has gifted you. Now you got to get busy figuring out what it is and using it. Now remember, if you are not serving this local church with the gifts that you've been given, here's your pastor talking to you now. Get ready. If you're not serving the church whatever church you want to go to with the gifts, you are neglecting God's plan for your life and you are making light of the cost it took in order to receive the gift. Now that should convict us to at least take a half a step forward in some direction. If you are constantly saying, I don't know what the gift is. I'm not serving with the gift. Let's say you come, you consume, you leave, you love Jesus. That's not in question. You love people. That's not in question. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning that you're a pretty cool person. What I am questioning is that if you're not serving in some capacity figuring out what this gift is, you are neglecting God's plan for your life because this is what Jesus does. He comes back from war and gives us the spoils of war. And number two, you're making light of what it took for Jesus to actually accomplish his mission and give us his gifts. That's the first three things about the gifts. Now, Next, as to growing up in the knowledge, unity, maturity, and love, okay? If CityGate is going to grow in God's way, we are to be about these things. Number one, we must measure personal maturity based on our desire and ability to apply the gospel in every aspect of our life. If you're wondering how mature you are as a Christian, are you thinking you're immature, you're, you're hoping to get more mature, this is your test. My desire and my ability to apply the news that Jesus Christ died for my sins and set me free to live a life in his new heavenly kingdom to every aspect of my life? Are you applying it to your life? Now, applying the gospel to our life can get really weird because we don't know what to do or where to start. This just means that the good news of Jesus Christ is to invade every section and shadow of our lives. Nothing is left uncovered. The gospel applies to everything. The way you think, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you work, the way you live, spend, spend your free time, everything is transformed by the gospel. Because when we consider the price that Jesus paid to save us and to gift us, when we realize what it means for Jesus, the eternal word of God, to descend to earth, to leave his place in glory, to come down and put flesh on like we are, When we consider what it took for him to do that, to to come to earth, to suffer and die, suffer and die for our sins, we are called to humbly submit to his truth. Forgetting what we think, forgetting what we want, the gospel now calls us to do what he wants. When we consider what it took for him to do that, we trust in him because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we put away our pride in the moment of offense. All sin can be found in pride. So let me show you one way to apply the gospel to your life. Stop being so offended. Now, some things are hard not to be offended about. I agree. But if you take offense to everything, what you're saying is, my kingdom is being attacked, and I don't like it, so I'm going to defend. But this life is not about your kingdom. It's about the kingdom of Christ. So we actually, as a Christian, we should be taking less offense as we mature in Christ. We put away our pride in the moment of offense, displaying grace and mercy and love to the fallen world around us. And now to end with a verse, a couple of verses. I'm gonna read from the Apostle John, uh, John 13, verses 34 and 35. I believe these two verses fit with Paul's last two verses about speaking, dealing, and acting truthfully in love. He says, a new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus to his people, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So above all, above all, the church is to display love towards one another by ministering to one another, using our gifts to serve one another. And this love is found exclusively in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when this love begins to Be built up among us, as Paul says. When it becomes really, really evident in what we're doing, the world will know that we are his body. We are subjects of his kingdom, a place where sinners will find rest. And ultimately, this is what matters. What matters is that we are seen as a kingdom where captives can be set free. Amen?